Hello to all our listeners out there in hearing range. My name is Dan Dick, and I welcome you to another episode of Church Matters. As usual, I'm joined by my gracious co-host, Janet Plennert. A warm hello to all of our listeners, and to you, Dan. It is good to be here. It is, and I have to say, Janet, I really enjoy putting this program together. Uh, before we get going, though, I want to say a quick hello to my aunt, Maria Dick. She is, I think, about 82 years old. She's a resident of the Menno Home in Grunthal, Manitoba, and is a big fan of Church Matters, or so I'm told. Janet, today we're going to welcome Terry LeBlanc to our guest chair to address the question of whether our faith will have children. Now, we're going to ask that question in the metaphorical sense of how we transmit our faith to those around us, not in the literal sense of how we pass on our faith to our own children. Did you get to uh, put together an introduction of Terry for us? I did, but you might have to stop me if this gets too long, Dan, because Terry has a lengthy resume. Okay, just talk really fast because I want to make sure that we have enough time to talk with Terry. All right then. Terry is Mi'kmaq Acadian and originally comes from Listigouche, Quebec. Terry has served in full-time Native ministry since 1979 and was ordained to ministry in 1983. He is actively engaged helping Native men and women embrace the person, work, teaching, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as Indigenous people. Trained in reconciliation, Terry has spoken and taught globally in places like South Africa, Rwanda, New Zealand, and Australia. He's the director of My People International and one of the founders and current chair of the North American Institute for Indigenous Theological Studies. He currently lives in Alberta and has been married to Bev for 39 years. They have three adult children. How's that, Dan? I think you need a breather after that, Janet. Now, normally we take a few moments right now to read a scripture passage, but for today we're going to break from that tradition and read a short excerpt from the story of Miskipiton, peace chief of the Cree. Miskipiton was born in 1806 and had become a well-known Plains Cree chief by 1831. He was also known as a fierce warrior, and when he hears about his father's murder in 1845, he begins to reflect on the Christian teachings of Robert Rundle, whom he'd met about five years earlier. And gradually, Mesquipitan became a revered peace builder. Now, here's an excerpt from near the end of the story. Mesquipitan began walking on the trail of peace as he was getting to know it through the stories and words from the book of Creator God that was called the Bible. It was not an easy trail. Muskipiton was used to hating his enemy. He had been a great fighter. It was very hard not to strike back when his enemy hit him. It took courage, but he began to lead his people on the trail of peace. Now, Muskipiton died in 1869, and the story goes that in the summer of that year, 10,000 Cree, plus friendly and enemy tribes, met on the prairie to honor Muskipiton's life as a peace builder. You know, I only learned the Miskipitun story a year or two ago, and I continue to be fascinated by it. Right, I agree. Uh, now, before we're going to have Terry join us in just a moment, we're going to first to listen to the song Welcome Home by Michael Jacobs.
Welcome back to Church Matters and a conversation with our guest, Terry LeBlanc. Welcome here, Terry. It's good to be here, Janet and Dan. I think it's safe to say that there are a lot of sweeping stereotypes and generalizations about Native people and faith. Before we move into our topic of will our faith have children, Terry, can you set the table for us briefly by sharing how you chose and embraced Christianity? I came to faith in in Jesus um, a year after my wife. It was uh, four years into our marriage that my wife, uh, through a a small community Bible study, was introduced uh, once again to the person, the work, the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And she came to embrace that as true. And within a a matter of moments after hearing that news, I felt betrayed. Uh, I felt that she had embraced the the very message of the very people who had um, been so destructive uh, to our, us as people and our culture and our way of life and, and our understanding and who had, to a certain extent, been responsible for, for our uh, uh, oppression. Uh, and so I felt betrayed. But within a year of that, after considering very carefully my wife's and my life together and our relationship and the deep commitment I knew she had to me that um, was now uh, being uh, challenged by me uh, through this commitment she'd made to Jesus, uh, I responded uh, and and received Christ into my life, acknowledging um, not just the uh, superficiality of, of Christian faith as I had been exposed to it, but acknowledging that the person, the work, the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus was authentic, was real for me and for the entirety of creation. So in finding Jesus and believing this as truth, are you saying that you then found peace at being an indigenous person and also a Christian? Yeah, and it wasn't embracing a propositional truth statement. I want to be really clear about that. So it wasn't that somebody said, these are statements of truth that you now need to believe in this order. It, it, was, it was more profound than that. It was me standing under the open sky one evening um, and, and, and saying, in essence, to, to, uh, to the God of the Bible, the creator of the universe, uh, the creator of all peoples everywhere, including Mi'kmaq people, who had been here prior to any European coming. It, it was all of this coming through my head in the, in the course of that year, it was realizing that God didn't get out of the boat first when the first Europeans came here, that he had been here among our people long before Europeans ever came here and had been passaging among our people, uh, but that this person, his son Jesus, was not known to us. So when, when 400 years ago, last June 24th, um, our first convert uh, to Christianity was baptized. His name was Membertu. He was baptized Henry. And 33 of his family and extended family um, with him. He was baptized because he believed that the gospel uh, completed um, who we were as people. It brought us to fullness. And it wasn't as missiologists talk about a fulfillment or replacement theology. It wasn't that at all. He saw it as completing something that all human beings needed to be completed by. Uh, that's what Henry remembered to embrace, and that's what I came to understand that night. Now, I happen to know, Terry, that you've had experience with both Mennonites and the Mennonite Church, and I use those two terms distinctly. Oh, but no. <laughs> and I wonder if you can share uh, your experience uh, about Mennonites and the Mennonite Church with us. 
I attended Mennonite Brethren Bible College back in the late 70s, and it was my first exposure to the Mennonite community. I had often thought of Mennonites and Amish and other Anabaptist peoples in perhaps a very stilted perspective. I had no exposure to southern Manitoba, though we lived in Manitoba, apart from the advertisements uh, um, about uh, buying a car in Steinbeck. And so as I attended MBBC, I was exposed to Mennonite tradition and culture and custom in all of its diversity. I learned how to enjoy plots, and uh, I learned a little bit of Plotdeutsch. Uh, I learned how to differentiate uh, FASPA from uh, other uh, times of fellowship and eating and and was exposed also to the theology of the Anabaptist community um, as I took courses at MBBC and learned not not simply the the, the peace tradition but of the the long history of a, of a people who resisted um, uh, being swept up by a civic tradition that was uh, in disarray and uh, that was seeking to continue a, a long history of oppression, I was very impressed by the steadfastness of the faith of the Mennonite community. I was also impressed by the generosity of the community that we were exposed to. As the name of our program indicates, we believe that the church matters, and especially so for future generations, regardless of culture. Terry, the church often agonizes whether its children will have faith, but if we flip that around and ask whether our faith will have children, what new insights might we find in that? Will the church have metaphorical children it needs to grow or at least sustain itself? You know, as I talked yesterday with some of the staff here in Winnipeg, I was taken by the thought that so often our tradition of faith that we take for granted as adults is rooted in uh, perceptions and values and customs and practices that have deep meaning for us. And we've created uh, rituals to encompass those, to embody those, to carry them forward. But in the carrying forward of those practices, we at times have failed to convey the context in which those uh, ceremonies, those beliefs, those values, those practices and traditions have, have arisen. And as a consequence, our children receive them simply as a ritual. Uh, the people around us receive them simply as a ritual without the fullness of the context. So if we were to think, for example, of, of the Anabaptist tradition, if we look at what's written in some of the documents of various and sundry Mennonite churches without understanding the context of Menno Simon and Dirk Phillips and, and so forth and, and what they experienced and why they fought so hard, and, and, I'm, and I'm even reluctant to use the word fought in a Mennonite context, but why they struggled forward so much. Uh, if, if we lose that context, then all we're conveying is a written body of teaching that divorces itself oftentimes in people's experience from the very story it's intended to convey. And as a consequence, it has no life and isn't able to reproduce itself. I think that's something that we all experience. We certainly do in the Native community. If we step away a little bit from the Mennonite Church and think of the wider church, can you give me an example of a ritual perhaps that has, that has lost meaning, something that's fairly common that, that our listeners might all understand? Now, I'll need to think about that, Dan. Um, well, I think, for example, of a, a ritual that may not uh, be, be directly connected to Mennonite church, but is to others, is, is the tradition of infant baptism. In the pedo-baptistic traditions of the church, the whole context is about uh, in, instilling in the experience a commitment to transmit uh, one's faith and, and belief through the way we raise the child, the, the instruction that we give the child, the, the 
uh, raising them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, as it were. Um, and so often the, or the ritual is simply uh, pouring or sprinkling water on the head of the child with the expectation that, that's, uh, that, that that has salvific value, and and in some traditions it certainly does. Uh, but for the parent or the, or the godparent or the community around it, who then uh, see that ritual as a, a self-contained item that doesn't require anything leading up to and following from it, um, it, it, it really doesn't have the capacity to do what, what they expect it to do and to nurture children in faith. That's a, a terrific example, and thank you for that. We all enjoy a, a rich and unique cultural heritage, uh, but as Christians and as the church, we have such deeply entrenched cultural and religious traditions that sometimes we can scarcely distinguish between our culture and our faith. What have you learned about how we can break this habit of leaning toward conformity in our faith? You know, I heard someone describe the next generation's faith uh, as a meaningful faith in this way. They said, if what you see in your children causes you discomfort and perhaps even mild irritation when they uh, express their faith and, and live their faith, then, then you know it's beginning to have authenticity. Because if a child or, or a young adult doesn't own uh, for themselves the expressions of their faith in what we would in the Christian context call a worship tradition or a tradition of, of reflection or meditation or pondering of the things of God, uh, the way that they, that they live their life as followers of the Jesus way, if, if it isn't owned by them, then it's someone else's and it will quickly be set aside in favor of a new tra uh, tradition or fad or, or, or passing understanding of life. And so it, 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 children's faith, our next generation's faith, and, and for that matter, people in the community around us whom we are seeking to, to share our faith with in, in hopes that they might own it for themselves, if, if they don't live it in a way that creates some discomfort in us, maybe it's not theirs, maybe it's actually ours. Terry, you're the founding director of an organization called My People International, uh, headquartered in Alberta. Can you share with our listeners uh, briefly what the vision of My People International is, and is there work that you do there that seeks to build up or ensure that our faith will have children? Well, My People International is really focused, uh, ha has become uh, over the uh, almost 11 years of its existence, focused on the development of native leadership in, in a context that in encourages following after the Jesus way, as, as we like to describe it. We're sometimes reluctant to talk about Christianity and the church among uh, the native community because Christianity and the church have often been complicit in some less than stellar experiences among our folk and, and less than uh, life building. Uh, so we talk about leadership development as, as we follow the Jesus way. And so we're, we're about the business of, of dealing with the issues of life that, that can emerge from our past and present that hinder our following the Jesus way, that prevent us from embracing the person, the work and life and teaching death and resurrection of Jesus. We're about building Christian leadership among the native community in an authentically native way so that people are not compelled to leave their cultural identity and embrace another cultural identity. As, as one of my colleagues said, for so long we were invited to leave our sinful culture only to enter someone else's sinful culture to become followers of Jesus. Well, we, we know that cultures can be sinful and are, uh, at least the, the people within them, um, uh, 
but we're, we're not inviting our people to leave their sinful culture to embrace somebody else's. We're, we're creating leaders within our cultures. Terry, are you accepted in your native community having a Christian ministry through My People International? What is your relationship with the rest of the wider native community? I have been involved in as diverse uh, a series of activities in the native community as co-facilitating uh, work of the Sacred Assembly in 1995 that Elijah Harper called. And so together with several other organizations, um, was involved in assisting in that. I was one of the four authors, uh, final authors of the publications that came out of Sacred Assembly that captured both the the church and the government and the and the non-church uh, Native communities' perspectives. Uh, so in that sense, have have had a wide involvement. But it really will depend on who you ask. Um, some of our non-Christian Native uh, folks still feel the hurt of the way Christianity has been carried into our communities and, and um, lived in our communities. Uh, they're so hurt by that, that that they see it as a deep evil. And, and that's truthful. They do. They see it as a deep evil, one that um, we need to repel uh, at, at all costs. Others of uh, our community who are not Christian uh, can discern the value of uh, Christianity from its uh, uh, practices that that were uh, inappropriate, and, and they see the value of the teachings of Jesus. Uh, I would say among among most traditional people I've met, the the Bible is held in high regard, as is Jesus. Jesus is held in extremely high regard as as a a wonderful uh, uh, spiritual, religious, moral teacher. Uh, as, uh, in some cases, even the Son of God, uh, even uh, for people who wouldn't call themselves Christian. So it, it really varies. For some, I'm a, I'm a sellout, and for some, I'm a holdout. And it does vary with the people that you talk to. I do think that there's a deep difference between going into a community as a Native person who follows the Jesus way and is evidently engaged with and in touch with their cultural identity than going into a community as a Native person who isn't. Um, I think there's a, a, a real significant difference. Among my people, I'm invited to traditional gatherings and uh, ceremonies uh, because I'm a Mi'kmaq person and I'm a part of the community, even though folks know I'm a follower of the Jesus way. Uh, I've also been invited on, on reservations in the U.S. to traditional uh, gatherings and ceremonies as a follower of the Jesus way, even though the ceremonies were not, because they, they valued the way that I live my life and that I still connect to my cultural identity. So, Terry, I heard you say that you've never met a Native person who's an atheist or an agnostic. Can you tell us more about that? Because that would not be the reality in mainstream Canadian culture. That understanding dawned on me one day when I was at a church planting conference, and the conference was focusing on means by which to address the, the growing secularism of the Canadian population. It was a Canadian conference. It dawned on me that I had a, an entirely different experience of that as they began to talk about the need to convince people that there was a God, uh, that God wasn't, in fact, dead, that Nietzsche was wrong. Uh, God's very much alive. And, and I realized that I've never yet encountered a native person in North America or an indigenous person elsewhere, for that matter, where I needed to convince them that there was a creator, 
the creator is. Uh, so you, you don't have to say there is a creator. For us, is the creator is. He, he's very much in evidence. When I look at my laptop, um, I don't ask where did it come from. It, it came from the factory owned by the company that produced it, and I could, if I were, uh, if I were able, I could describe the process of its creation. It didn't. It just it didn't just pop into existence. And for us, the same kind of, of thinking happens when we look at the rest of creation. It doesn't pop into existence. It, it, it's here by means of a creator. Uh, so that's that's an argument that that I think is is very different in the native community as as compared to the non-native community. Uh, talking about in the native community, the the creator's son is 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 perhaps the the place that we might start, not whether there is a creator or not. Um, it, it is a very different experience. Terry, it's time to wrap up our conversation. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. It's been great to be with you. I've appreciated it. That concludes our program for today. I want to send out a great big thank you to all of our listeners wherever you are. I invite you to support the Ministry of Church Matters with a gift. You can give over the phone, through mail, in person, or online at MennoniteChurch.ca. If you'd like to read the Mesquipitan story, you can call us toll-free at 1-866-888-6785 or email churchmatters at MennoniteChurch.ca. You can also visit our resource center for all kinds of great resources. My name is Janet Plennert. And I'm Dan Dick, and you've been listening to Church Matters, where our prayer is that you will be called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Tune in wherever you are, and thanks for listening. See you next time. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.